stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. This morning, we have a very special guest from London, Dr. Mark McCarkow. Mark is the co-director of the Center for Solutions Focus at Work. He's the author of several books, including The Solutions Focus, The Simple Way to Positive Change, and Solutions Focus Working, 80 Real Life Lessons for Successful Organizational Change. Mark has a Ph.D. in physics, focusing on self-organizing systems, and being a scientist by nature and by training, he really seeks simplistic and reliability in his theory and in his application to change in organizations. Mark, welcome to the show. Hi there, Cheryl. It's great to be with you. It's wonderful to be with you. Now, where, tell us where you are this, this evening. Uh, it's evening for me. I'm in Cheltenham in the west of England uh, in my office. Uh, Cheltenham's a beautiful town, uh, about 100,000 people. We have more festivals than any other town in the country. And uh, today is the first day of the biggest festival of the lot, the biggest horse racing festival in Europe, oh, which really? is happening about a mile away as we speak. And so all the uh, race goers are just on their way back from the race course to the pub, basically. Uh, um, the pub, they'll yeah. be enjoying the evening celebrating their winners, drowning their sorrows, and generally having a good time. And I propose to go and join them a little bit later on, perhaps. Well, we are privileged that you took some time away from the pub to... (laughs) (laughs) I'm an Englishman. I have to do that, you know. (laughs) Well, fantastic, Mark. We really are appreciative that you're here today. So let's talk a bit about your background. Let's start there. So when, you know, having met you and, and having immediately fell in love with you and in your philosophy and um, the way you see the world, I was very surprised to find out that you actually started out as a scientist with a physics background and that you've actually had some experience working in nuclear power stations, um, working on organizational change around that. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I, I did three physics degrees, including a PhD, and um, uh, I, at the time, was very concerned about sustainability. I still am. Uh, and I, along with some of the people who are concerned with that, saw and still see nuclear energy as a really vital piece of keeping our modern society going uh, when we have less oil, uh, we have less carbon, uh, we want to stop greenhouse gases, and so on. So, 
In the mid-1980s, I, um, I did a PhD in nuclear physics and got a job on a power plant uh, where I was involved in uh, doing the nuclear physics uh, for the power plant. It was actually the world's oldest commercial nuclear power plant, uh, hmm. if you can get that. And I was the last head of reactor physics at it. So, uh, you know, you think of nuclear power plants and you think of something like the Starship Enterprise where it's all gleaming steel and screens and computers and stuff. This place was more like uh, Lake Wobegon, um, enormous baker-like knobs and uh, looking like an old wireless set from the 1950s. Mm. But it still worked and it was still safe. And so I had a fabulous time um, being the, you know, the last head of reactor physics at this plant, uh, helping it to shut down uh, for the last time because it was just old and, and finished. Um, mm and uh, then got into organizational change because, of course, closing down a plant like that you know, for good is a huge organizational change oh, program. Right, right. And uh, got into that that way and then um, did an MBA degree um, in what's laughingly called my spare time and <laughs> uh, through that process and got involved with, uh, with organizational change and found that I really loved it. I was really hooked on this whole mm -hmm. thing of people and psychology and change and what helps people to change and what gets in the way of change. And I've been kind of exploring that ever since, really, I guess. Well, you know, um, I can't pass the, this moment because as we speak, um, there is a horrible disaster in Japan, um, starting with the earthquake and moving into the tsunami, and now the nuclear power plants are um, under alert, and there is concern that they are actually going to melt down, and, and they're doing everything they can in Japan to, to not let that happen. Um, you know that was, it was not the intent that we talked about that today, but uh, given that you're here and you can see a perspective and you've worked in what what is typically called high reliability industries, you know where things have to be highly reliable and you have to to be able to count on your systems and and if systems fail, you have to be able to count on your backup systems and you know what what is your perspective on what's happening over there with this? Well, first of all, the, the, this, the earthquake and the tsunami is just devastating. Yeah. Uh, I have many Japanese friends and colleagues, and uh, our thoughts are just so with them and all their families at the moment. Um, it's absolutely uh, dreadful. The, the, the devastation of the tsunami in particular is just yeah. jaw-dropping. And I guess we could say it's, we're fortunate that the area where it hit the worst was kind of a fairly agricultural area so there weren't that many people um, and there are still thousands and thousands dead of course but it, you know it could have been it could have been so much worse if the earthquake had been a, a hundred or so kilometers um, along the coastline mm. so that's that's awful about the uh, power plant situation yes we're keeping very close eye on it here uh, I and my uh, partner Jenny we still have colleagues in the nuclear industry and uh, mm -hmm. Uh, Jenny's still in touch with them. We were speaking with somebody from the Japanese Radiological Safety Board just this morning, um, getting his perspective on, mm. on things. Um, I, as far as I can tell, uh, the authorities at the power plant are clearly battling in a very, very extreme situation. But I don't think they're out of the playbook yet. Mm -hmm. you know, the playbooks for these situations go very, very deep. Yeah. Um, it's not just the first line and the second line, you know, there's a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth and a seventh. Yeah. 
And uh, they will, be, of course, be doing everything they can. I understand the latest news is that um, radiation levels are falling. And um, the, it, it, it seems that a meltdown is getting less likely. Uh, that's really good news, of course. Mm -hmm. The reactors themselves were shut down uh, just after the earthquake itself on uh, Friday, as I understand it. And, of course, the, heat, the amount of heat that's generated from these uh, reactors drops dramatically as time goes on after the shutdown. Uh -huh. uh, so the situation is, you know, the problem is getting less serious as time goes on, just because of the physics of the thing. Uh, so the longer they can hold on, the, the, you know, the better the situation will be. But of course, we're, you know, it's, it, we're a long way from where it's supposed to be right now, and everyone, of course, is uh, hoping that uh, these uh, plans can stay into action. And of course, they're monitoring the situation very um, carefully, and there's, apparently there's been little radioactive leaks uh, near the plant, but that won't affect um, many people other than the ones who work there, and they're all uh, prepared and monitored and so on. So right. I, am, I am cautiously optimistic right now. Yeah. Uh, even though it will be very expensive, these power plants will never function again. Um, you know, there's a lot of money there. Um, but that's, hey, it's only money. Come on. Right. Hey, exactly, right? Yeah. Well, let's talk a bit about this concept of, of high reliability. You know, you really are um, a proponent of, you know, when you make change happen or when you build a system, it needs to have, it needs to be simple and it needs to have high reliability in order for it to stick, in order for change to really happen. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, I think um, solutions focus, the, the approach that I um, advocate and have been part of developing over the last 20 years, uh, is about a kind of mirror image in shift about change. Um, when you're dealing with a mechanical system like a motor car or a power plant uh, and something goes wrong, everybody wants to know what went wrong and why it went wrong mm -hmm. so you can stop it so you can prevent it, so you can engineer it so that it doesn't happen again. Right. And it's extremely effective. However, when you've got people involved, I think things get a little different. <laughs> because, because you can't engineer people uh, much as you know, some people would like to think you can. But right. our, our approach is about thinking that actually people, people respond to conversations. We are um, a narrative narrative beings, we are social beings. Conversations uh, are constantly changing and evolving and emerging us all uh, in, a, in a social context. And so while um, a motor car or a power plant doesn't matter how you, doesn't mind how you describe it, um, a person does. <laughs> and the way that person will engage with the process depends very much on the language you use and how you engage them. Uh, it's not simply a logical process. Well, let's so, talk a bit about that. What, what type of specific language are you referring to? Well, the, 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 the fundamental thing of the solutions focus is this. Uh, it's a different thing to build on what's working than to fix what's wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the logical engineers, physicists world, those two things are opposites. You know, the, the opposite of broken is fixed. And if you know broken, then you can derive fixed from that. Mm. 
But when we get to humans and people uh, uh, and interactions and uh, societies and groups, what's wrong is not the opposite of what's working or what's wanted. Uh, and in Solutions Focus, we take the view that these are completely different categories of things. So knowing what's wrong doesn't really help you to understand what's working or what's wanted. Um, it's a little bit like going to a supermarket where, you know, we take a list to the supermarket, a shopping list of things uh -huh. that we want. Right. Right? Apples and eggs and all of that stuff. Right. And, and how would it be if you went to the supermarket with a list of things that you didn't want? <laughs> it would take a long time. <laughs> it would take a long time because you'd have, okay, I don't want apples and eggs today. Ah, but the store has five... 100,000 other items, right. and I still have to choose. I can't take right. all the other 499,998 things with me just in case. That would be oh, stupid. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, so it's about this connection. You can shortcut, we think. You can shortcut mm -hmm. and make radically more effective uh, and efficient change processes by stepping over completely the part where you diagnose what's wrong mm -hmm. and map out what's wrong and analyze what's wrong and you jump straight to what do we want and what's working already and then connect those things up by building on what's working and here's the other piece with small steps hmm. build on what's working with small steps um, and uh, the surprising thing is that that basic philosophy, there's a little bit more to it than that, but that's the summary. That basic philosophy generates lasting, sustainable change 70 to 80 percent of the time, virtually instantly. Well, and so small steps, like incremental change, right? Well, yes and no. Um, Yes, small steps can be thought of as incremental change. But uh, the old Chinese proverb says, a journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. Mm -hmm. And I think even radical uh, discontinuous change can be brought about by small steps. It's just which small steps are you thinking of? Well, and the concept of building on what's working um, makes me think of appreciative inquiry. Absolutely, absolutely. And appreciative uh, inquiry... And solution focus are kind of um, bedfellows in a way. Um, the two approaches come from very different backgrounds and have arrived at somewhat the same place. Mm. Somewhat the same place. The appreciative inquiry started, as I'm sure you and many of the listeners will know, uh, with David Cooperider yeah. um, and um, uh, his colleagues there at Case Western. Um, and they were looking at, specifically looking at organizational change. When, when they did this, and they started right. to notice how people moved towards the things that they, that they were asking about. Um, solutions focus comes from a, a therapy background. Um, mm -hmm. And so it was derived around the mid-80s um, by a group, a small group in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, a brief family therapy center led by Steve DeShazer and Insu Kimberg. Steve was my mentor very much. Mm. They're both now no longer with us, unfortunately. So Solution Focus started off in, in kind of one-on-one -on -one or one-on-small group situations, whereas Appreciative Inquiry started off as kind of big-scale organizational change. 
Um, and the two approaches are very complementary and have lots and lots of, you know, overlap and also a few different flavors. Um, and uh, some people prefer the appreciative inquiry flavor, which kind of comes with a bit more social constructionist background and, um, and more academic background. Some people like the solution-focused uh, stuff, which is kind of a bit more crunchy and a little bit more kind of let's cut to it. Yeah. in feel for some people and uh, you know they certainly sit very well together as two different options well and it sounds like you have um, you move quicker into that psychological um, where the psychological motivation might be for change well it's I don't know about psychological motivation but certainly once you get people uh, assembling around um, some things that they want some things that they are motivated that they want to see and they're prepared to do something about, mm -hmm. key point, that second one, oh. uh, then, then you, you don't have any motivation. No, the motivational problem is gone. If people have an idea that what they're doing is leading to something worthwhile and they have a piece in that and they can do something uh, that will bring it about, then they're going to do it. This is not a big, you know, and this is where the small steps thing comes in again. Um, if they can start the way there by something small, they're much, much more likely to do it and get involved than if they have to start by doing something big and huge and painful and difficult. And we both know and many of our listeners know that um, many, many change initiatives I, I even don't even like that phrase, change initiatives, in organizations um, begin really big. <laughs> and yeah, absolutely, and, and I think that's one of the, yeah. the challenges. Uh, you, you look in the, the classical organizational change textbooks, mm -hmm. and, and it all says, it starts off with, uh, make a big plan, get mm -hmm. buy-in from the chief executive and the board, mm -hmm. and then do a kind of big kind of launch, rah-rah, we're all going to change thing. Right, right. Um, and it has been known to work, but it usually doesn't deliver as much as had hoped. It'll deliver something, but particularly when you're on the fifth or sixth or seventh sure. initiative, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> you know, people yeah. start thinking, "Oh no, here we go again." Yeah. Um, and you even get this thing, this thing about uh, you know, well, we saw off the first six, but we'll see off the seventh one as well. You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was working in. Uh, in Ukraine, in the former Soviet Union in the 1990s, uh, actually consulting with their nuclear industry, the people who brought you Chernobyl, by the way. Okay. And um, the, the station manager at uh, Chernobyl said, said to me, you know, this was about organizational change, not nuclear safety, but he uh -huh. said, you know, we've seen so many things. We've, we've, we saw off the Tsars, we saw off the communists, and we'll see off the Western consultants as well. <laughs> oh, whoa! <laughs> and uh, you know, and he, in a way, of course, he was right. He was right. Mm. You know, they were they were there. They had uh, you know they were going to do things their way, and, and getting engaged engaged with them wasn't easy. We managed some yeah. good progress in the end, but it's kind of you know. So so the big initiative thing, I think, is much overrated. Right. Uh, we yeah. like to promulgate different ways of thinking about it. Well, we're going to talk more about some of those ways to engage in that when we come right back. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. 
Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. You want to know the inside scoop on how today's leaders do business? How they hire and develop top talent? How do they retain top employees and customers? Tune in to Leadership Leverage on the Voice America Business Channel. Every week, Dr. Robert Denker will offer ideas and facilitate discussion with guests that will help shape today's up-and-coming leaders as well as established leaders in their fields. Listen for Leadership Leverage every Tuesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN the Voice America Talk Radio Network we're on the cutting edge of social media can you keep up? Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And welcome back to Leading Conversations. We're speaking with Dr. Mark McKeargo this morning. Mark, we were just talking about large change initiatives and some of the challenges there and some of the downfalls of those. Um, and, and you say that there's, there's a better way, you know, to... Well, there's certainly some different that. ways, Cheryl. Uh, the way we like to think is if you're talking about building on what's working, one key thing is to start with, uh, we call it engaging the green people which is uh, in any organization there'll be a group of people somewhere uh, scattered around maybe who are kind of really up for it. Mm. You know, they want to make progress. They're keen to, to see things move on. Uh, they, want, they want to do it. Uh, there's also, using the traffic light metaphor, the orange people who are sitting around being probably prepared to be convinced but want to see something, see that it's serious before they kind of mm. come in. Mm. And then, of course, there's a few red people too. Who are sat there saying, no, no, never, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so a lot of the, the, the big change initiative, you spend a lot of time trying to win over the orange and red people yeah. first. Yeah. Um, we like to uh, get people thinking about work with the green people and start to do something. Mm. Start to do something quickly because then the orange people see that the train is beginning to move now and something uh. is actually happening and this is for real. And that makes it a whole you know, different conversation about, about engaging people. And lots of the orange people will then get engaged. And um, 
if you have to leave one or two red people on the platform when the train moves off, yeah, well. Um, so so wor working with the green people is a great way of starting, which may mean using almost like guerrilla tactics. Mm. Start things small with small groups of enthusiasts who want to kind of blaze the trail a little bit and right. get them doing things, but quite quietly. Making progress, uh, finding out what's going to work, uh, trying things out, starting to get people engaged. Um, one of our colleagues here uh, did a big project with a Sky Television company, who are our major satellite um, broadcasters here in the UK. Um, and they did a project on this guerrilla basis. And they found a very interesting thing, that uh, when you have a big change initiative, everyone could say, oh, no, not again. But when you have the small thing, the guerrilla stuff that's starting to happen, there's nothing to fight. There's nothing for the other people to object to. You can't see it happening until it's too late, <laughs> until things are moving and, uh, you know, the, the, the progress is there and people are getting on board. Um, so it, 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 it takes a lot of the kind of steam out of the situation. Right. right. Do it in this guerrilla way. It's a really nice way to think about uh, big-scale organizational change, but starting from a small, uh, small beginnings there and growing, growing what works, growing the thing out and engaging people as time goes on. So I imagine that there are um, many different levels and many different types of change. Um, I'm thinking of, you know, huge cultural change initiatives. And then there are process change initiatives, um, ways to change the way things get done in terms of a specific work process. Um, and, and I'm thinking that... Some of the guerrilla tactics might work um, better with some of the process change pieces. What do you think? Maybe. Uh, I don't see why they, they, could, they can work with the other ones too. Um, definitely. Um, we've, we have experience of the, sort of the cultural change things. I was working on cultural change uh, 20 years ago. Hmm. And... Um, um, try, the big scale cultural change programs, I think they're becoming a thing of the past now. I think people yeah. are getting fed up with spending all that money and all that energy and, uh, and it just gets dissipated. Yeah. I think people are realizing there's a smarter way you know, to spend your energy, to spend the, the, the budget, to get people engaged in ways that don't result in them getting fed up quickly um, and losing momentum. Um, we, I, I, I actually think that um, um, the, there's a lot in common between all the sorts of change that you said. And in a way, cultural change and process change are, are maybe not that dissimilar. Mm -hmm. Maybe not that dissimilar. Um, when you connect up, uh, so if we were doing a, um, a cultural change type process, um, of course, there has to be some idea of the culture that we want to move towards. But then, rather than going and trying to change people, you go around and find places where it's already basically like that anyway. Hmm. Um, and that gives a completely different kind of conversation when you go around to people and rather than say, oh, stop doing it that way, do it this way, you, you, you're kind of saying, well, you know, here's the kind of thing that... Um, you know, we're thinking about what, what do you th when do you do that already uh -huh. what's your, uh -huh. what's your uh, you know when, when are the times when that starts to show itself around here right right uh, of course people are keen to um, 
uh, you know, keen to join in with that. They're keen to show off. They want to show how good they are, obviously. Um, and so they, you know, so little traces of this start to emerge, and then you encourage a little bit more of it. Um, and it's a very organic process in that, in that way. It's like finding shoots and 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 uh, tending them. Uh, one of our Canadian colleagues has written quite a nice book, uh, Fletcher Peacock. Um, he works in French, and his book is called "Water the Flowers, Not the Weeds." <laughs> So, and that's very much what Solution Focus is about. Water the flowers, and the weeds will die off anyway. Huh. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you don't pay attention to them, if you let them wither, in huh. the end they will die, and the flowers will become bigger and stronger, um, and, will, and will take over in that uh, metaphor. So in some ways, it's almost like behavior modification. You pay attention to the things that are working, and... Um, you know, don't put a lot of, don't shine the light so much on the things that aren't. Absolutely, absolutely. And some people would say we're closet behaviorists. I think there's, there's more to it than that uh, because, we, you know, there's a lot of language stuff involved in this mm-hmm. too. But you're right, um, Solutions Focus doesn't get involved in sort of psychological explanations of things. Mm-hmm. We kind of steer away from psychological language onto behavioral description type language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and also a lot of focus on strengths as well. Because um, when you're focusing on what's going well, people are usually showing you some of their strengths. In, you know, they're using their strengths in mm-hmm. things that are going well. Um, even if they're only going well occasionally or a little, um, people are showing you some of their strengths. So we get involved in kind of complementing and affirming people's strengths as part of these processes as well. Um, and that, of course, you know, helps to oil the oil the wheels, too. Well, you know, I, as I think about how um, organizations, industries, multinational companies have evolved over time, and I think about who, um, who gets a lot of attention in these companies. Um, oftentimes, it is the person who, quote, saves the day from the crisis, you know, and so there's a lot of focus on what went wrong and how to fix it, and um, the people who are doing their work and doing it well and making things run on time, etc., um, don't get a whole lot of um, airplay, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think that uh, you know the organisation is going to be wanting to draw on and engage those people who are you know probably the majority, um, and this is a great way of doing that uh, and really making everyone uh, getting everyone's contribution into all of these things. There's something else in what you said, Cheryl, about the the person who comes along and saves the day. Mm-hmm. That sounds to me a little bit like you know, the hero leader um, right. archetype. And then, of course, we all love and admire the hero leader archetype. It's been around as long as there have been people, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, The leader is hero who comes along and saves us and and, um, knows what to do and is incredibly brave and incredibly uh, strong and incredibly knowledgeable and wise and puts all that to service to save Mm -hmm. uh, uh, his, usually, people, (laughs) because they're usually male. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. These heroes. and uh, I've been in, uh, engaged in um, developing a kind of alternative um, metaphor to that, mm. um, which is the leader as host rather than hero. Um, leader as host. 
the leader as a host, yes. And, uh, you know, in host, sometimes in the United States, you think of a game show host. I'm not thinking about that kind of, <laughs> the cheesy oh, guy in the check that. suit. You know, here's Johnny and all that. That's not really what I'm thinking of here. Um, in the Oxford Dictionary, the host is defined as someone who receives or entertains guests. So it's like when you invite people mm. around for dinner at your mm -hmm. house, you know. The, the host has all sorts of responsibilities in, in that process, including things like defining what's supposed to be happening, deciding what you're going to eat, you right. know, deciding who to invite, who will make a good mixture of people, mm -hmm. uh, sorting it all out, sending the invites out, making sure people know what they're coming to and where they're supposed to be coming, and preparing the food and getting the room ready, creating the space. And then when the people come and knock on the door... The host role is not to be the hero, it's to engage the people with each other, um, to make sure to provide for them, to uh, make sure they have what they need, uh, to make them feel comfortable. Um, and so it's a, a combination of stepping forward to provide the food and, the, and everything else and stepping back to allow conversations and interactions right. to emerge. And it's a, it's, a, it's a subtle art, is hosting. Good hosts do this kind of stepping forwards and backwards thing, um, you know, where they, where they make a decision sometimes and then they let things go and let things emerge. It's very much like uh, the, the metaphor of watering the flowers I saw earlier. Uh -huh. You know, you don't, you don't stand over the flower all the time. You water it and then you go away and leave it to do its thing for a bit. And hosting is, right. I think, very much like that. And then, of course, afterwards, the host has to clear up too. <laughs> um, <laughs> So the host has definite key responsibilities for the success of the thing, but those responsibilities are discharged by engaging the other people uh, and providing for them and encouraging them to in interact and introducing them to each other and to some extent letting them get on with it in the space that they have created. And uh, I think this is a very interesting um, leadership metaphor. I uh, love it. I, I, I love it. I've always... Um one of my beliefs has been for a long time that leadership is an invitation. And yes. um, if, in fact, um, one does not see that, um, then one has a hard time really assessing, um, you know, just what am I, you know, putting out there for people. You know, if I am an invitation to something, what am I an invitation to? Am I an invitation to um, creating conflict? Am I an invitation to people hitting a brick wall? Am I an invitation to um, creativity? Am I an invitation to helping people be their best? Um, you know, and it is vital for people to consider themselves um, much more, as leaders, much more than being a doer of something, you know, because right. it's oftentimes leadership is defined by what someone does. And, and I, I agree with you. It's way beyond that. That question about what am I an invitation to is such a, a, a neat way of thinking about it. That's absolutely tremendous. Um, and and it, it's invitations are, are in, there's, a, there's a lot of writing about um, the power of invitations uh, and connecting it up with soft power, the soft power of the invitation. And Joseph Nye, Professor Joseph Nye at Harvard has written a lot about this, soft power. Soft power is the opposite of hard power. 
of course. And hard power is good old-fashioned force and coercion and possibly economic coercion as well, economic force. That's hard power. Um, Soft power is when you invite people and you attract them and you make them want to come to be with you and join with you and do with you because it's good for them and it's good for you too and you do it in this inviting way. Right. And um, uh, there's, there's, a, there's some stark contrast in recent American history, of course, with uh, the, the, the last uh, couple of presidents about the overall approach to some of these, uh, some of these things. Um, uh-huh. and, I, and I think that soft, the soft power is such a powerful thing. It's such a wonderful way of engaging people. Uh, it's one that we really should be thinking about much harder than we are. And this question of what am I an invitation to and how am I putting that invitation out there and how are people actually responding to it mm-hmm. and, 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 and what therefore do I need to, how can I do more of that or change it, encourage it, um, is, a, is a really, really powerful question for people to think about. Hmm. Well, you know, talk to us a little bit about um, how you teach people, how you teach leaders about this soft power? Well, it's interesting because when I run classes in leader as host, host as leader, um, I say who here has actually hosted a, an event at your house? And everybody puts their hands up, of course. Mm-hmm. And I say who's been a guest at an event? And everybody puts like three hands up. Because we've all been uh, we've all been guests at all sorts of things. Some of them were great. Some of them perhaps weren't. Um, so this is an idea that people know already, but they didn't connect it with leadership yet. Mm. That's my experience. Yeah. And so and so we try and think about um, get them thinking about as if they were a, a host inviting people to their workplace to their team. How would you do it? How would you go up to somebody in the street and, and give them a two or three sentence invitation mm-hmm. that would have that person saying, wow, yeah, I'd really like to come and join in with that. How do you think about your, your, your organization, your team, your workplace, your mission as something that you want to invite people to and actually try out you know, try, try, try it, right? It's a good exercise, actually, for, for people who are listening to this. Yeah. After, after you've done this, try, write it down. Write down a two or three sentence invitation that you could, that you could invite people uh, to your organization or your mission or whatever with. And, and go and try it out on people. Not necessarily strangers in the street, but try it out on, you, on your friends and colleagues and get <laughs> feedback. What's appealing about this? What's attractive about it? What would make it more attractive? Um, and it's a, it's a, and people start shifting their whole perceptions about mm. about their workplace and their colleagues when they start thinking like a host. So I'm not saying that leaders are hosts all the time. Of course, mm. there's lots more to it. But if a leader thinks like a host, they start to think about: Is this place inviting? Mm. Is this place the kind of place into which I would really like to bring people? Is this place, are the interactions that are happening here, the kind of interactions that I think people would really like to engage with? Are we providing people here with what they need mm-hmm. to, do, to do of their best? 
and uh, you know these are leadership roles and they're hosting roles too. Um, I get really surprised when I run I run team workshops. You know, team teams that want to work better together and, and sure. face challenges. And how often part of what they come up with about ways forward is about slightly changing the environment to to make it nicer. <laughs> you know, it's about moving furniture. It's about putting some plants in or some flowers. <laughs> it's about meeting on a Monday morning and all having a cup of coffee together and a or something. It's about these tiny, tiny little things that are actually about you know, basic human contact. Interesting. Well, we have more to talk about with Mark McKirga when we come right back. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about this show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv whether the market's up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito, and we are speaking today with Dr. Mark McCurgow. So, Mark, we've been talking a lot about change and uh, change initiatives in organizations. And, um, you know, it occurs to me that 
it seems like the only thing constant these days is change. So change is not an event. It's, it's a way of being on our planet. And so how, is that, um, how does that affect your perspective of, of how we address change and, and how we live it? Absolutely. And I, I think I'm right with you in this idea that change is happening all the time. Uh, actually, I think it always was probably, but we, we, used to didn't, we didn't used to think that way. Mm. Um, and it's becoming now clearer and clearer and clearer that that's how things are. And, of course, the Buddhist people um, knew that a long time ago, really. <laughs> um, but it's becoming clearer to the rest of us, perhaps. Um, well, that's what's going on. Well, I remember the first study I made of organizational change, the first reference was Kurt Lewin. His famous work after the Second World War is organizational change process had three parts to it. Unfreeze the organization, mm-hmm. change the organization, and then finally refreeze the organization mm-hmm. in the new state. That would be good forever, presumably, mm-hmm. or at least for a long time. And, and um, I think now that we're getting to the point where people are realizing that this, we don't need to unfreeze it because it's already all moving. Right. Change, change is happening all the time. I always start my solutions-focused workshops with this phrase. Change is happening all the time. Therefore, the simple way to change is to find useful change and amplify it. Mm-hmm. So we don't need to unfreeze because it's not frozen. Right? If we stop thinking of it as frozen, we start to look for where it's moving already, those things become clear quite quickly. And Solutions focuses a lot about that, getting good at noticing what's changing, and particularly what's changing in a useful way, in what you might call the right direction. And Because those are the bits, the, the green shoots that we're going to be watering, growing, and paying attention to uh, in all of this. And it strikes me that um, we have two fundamentally different ways of looking at the world here. We have the way of looking at the world from Kurt Lewin and um, mechanical systems, which say, you know, understand it, adjust it, and then bolt it back down again in the new configuration, and it'll be fine. Um, and if you have, what if you want to fix a, a motor car, um, an automobile, then that's what you want to do. You take it to the garage, and you say, "Please diagnose what's wrong in my car and fix it." And um, uh, that's what that's what they do. It's brilliant. Uh, when we're talking about organisations, I think. The, the other way of thinking is turning out to be more and more useful, which is that it doesn't need diagnosing and fixing. It needs encouraging and emerging um, so that we're building on the change that's happening all the time. Um, and in this way, uh, the, the idea of tr- goals and predictions and targets becomes a lot less important. Think about that for a minute. If you if you had a stable world, then it would make a lot of sense to have a target for the end of the year right, about how right, many right. things we're going to sell or how mm-hmm. much money we're going to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because and, you can understand it, and, and then you could work towards it, and you could have a plan to work towards it. And that works well in a stable world where we can basically understand it and things aren't going to change very much. Where we have a world where change is happening all the time, and people will have experienced this. Our listeners will have experienced this. You start off with a target, a goal at the beginning of the year, for the end of the year. And by six months, you realize either that the goal is now much too difficult right. because things changed. Right? Or right. the goal is now much too easy <laughs> because things changed. Right. Or if you're very, very, very lucky, the goal will still be relevant. Mm. <laughs> but actually, that happens not so much of the time. Right, and, right. Uh, 
and so I think I think in a way um, having these clear this organizations have these like, clear annual targets and budgets I think that restricts change I think it constricts people well that uh, makes a lot of sense what skills do you think people really need to um, develop in themselves and thus pass along into the organization um, in order to live in this changing environment? That's a really, really interesting question. I think one of the things that people need to, to adopt is, is sort of some basic language around um, focusing on what's wanted and what's working and talking about it, noticing it, responding to it, applauding it, affirming it, mm. building on it. Uh, that's one thing. Another thing is the power of small steps that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. In, in, a, in a world that's changing all the time, um, a small step that will have a useful effect is an incredibly powerful tool. Mm -hmm. it's much more powerful than a large step that that, that may never get done and right. even if you succeeded in doing it it probably won't be right by the time you finished because things are moving um, and um, the another thing is to is is to get good at noticing change and noticing change is a really interesting thing and some entrepreneurs I know kind of struggle a little bit at first with this but let me just go through the idea when okay. you get to notice change, you first of all have to kind of sit down and take a breath and somehow um, still yourself. I don't want to get all kind of spiritual and whatever here, but this is, there is something about being able to just go and allow the dust to settle for a moment. And then, then small changes and differences start to become clearer. And if you're kind of running around going, oh, my God, my God, I must do this, I must do that. <laughs> it's really, really hard to notice kind of what can be quite small changes, but they can also be very subtle and significant. So, so this is where I, the physicist, you know, I'm quite keen on the ideas of you know, meditation mm -hmm. and, and just taking a few moments to reflect and, 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 and think about things and just hold, holding situations to allow the dust to settle just for a few moments. To allow people to take a breath and have a look around and say, okay, now let's have a look at this. Well, uh, and you know, that, that's what I call um, getting out of my head, you know, um, because I, I can put so much of my energy into my thinking brain and into my problem solving, and I forget the rest of my intelligence, which is my intuition and my ability to connect and know what's going on and to hear other people. And um, so I, I completely agree with you around this taking a breath, still yourself, be quiet, you know, because magic can happen in that. Absolutely. And you start to notice things, which I think were probably there all along. Um, but if you don't notice them, you can't act on them. You can't respond to them. You know, you can't use them. And so it's a, it's, it's, a, it's really counterintuitive because if things are going wrong, then you know our natural response is to try and do something. <laughs> Come on, right, <laughs> right, right. And right. it takes a little bit of courage sometimes to go. No, I'm just gonna poof, stop. For right. Now. Right, right, right. And well, things, especially and then even then you become clear of the change, aware of the changes that are going on and you can start to respond to them in a slightly different way. And, and, and I've seen so many times this kind of act of doing almost nothing can have such a, a huge potential effect. 
Well, I, I love the way you've um, framed this for us um, because I think that all change begins with oneself. And so, um, you know, we can't change organizations unless um, we have a sense of how to do that ourselves. Um, I mean, even if an individual wants to make a personal change, then, you know, it's um, looking at, you know, focusing on what I want and what's working now. So that kind of speaks to what are my strengths, right? And kind of moving Absolutely. toward that. Um, the power of small steps with useful effect. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me if you're an individual who wants to make change. Um, huge steps could be overwhelming. So if I can take a little step and go, oh, okay, well, I, that was okay. I didn't die. And, um, and then um, really getting good at noticing change, really getting good at quieting oneself so that we can pay attention to when the opportunities actually arise and we can actually um, do something about that. So, you know, we only have a couple minutes left. And I really know that people are going to want to know more about this and more about you, Mark. So how can people get in touch with you or reach you or learn more about your work and Solutions Focus? Okay, well, they can come to uh, my website, which is uh, sfwork.com, sfwork.com. That's the Center for Solutions Focus at Work. Find out about my uh, books there and and various work and other things. Uh, You can, of course, buy the Solutions Focus book, uh, on Amazon and all good booksellers. It's now in 12 languages. Um, oh. So if you put my name, McCurgo, into Amazon, you'll come up with that and, and all the other books too. Another thing you might want to do is download my latest paper on host leadership. And you oh. can do that from a slightly different website, uh, www.hostleadership.com. Hostleadership.com. And there's a free download uh, there of a paper I published last year on the leader as host. And that's an idea that I'm continuing to rework and I'm hoping to to get some more stuff written about in the next uh, few months. Well, fantastic. We'll make sure that our listeners have that link so that they can have that free download. Well, Mark, this has been great. It's been great having you on the show, and um, I know we could talk for hours and hours more about all of the opportunity people have in organizations and and with themselves, you know, to be their best self and to um, really, and it sounds to me like you're really saying also being intentional, and, and I really like that. I like that about your message. So we'll have to have you back again another time. Well, Cheryl, I've really enjoyed uh, talking with you today, and uh, thank you very much indeed for inviting me. Well, it's been a pleasure. And remember, everyone, to think big, because the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 